really leave, live and breathe on our nonpartisan status here. It's important to us that every guest that comes into the Capitol has an equally wonderful experience and can be guaranteed that our staff are not going to try to share their political views on proposals or on legislators or candidates that are running for office. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvenois. I'm sure at some point, everyone has taken a tour of our state capital in Lansing, Michigan. And I'm also pretty sure that when most of us have heard about history, it has been through some kind of a political lens. So how do you present the history in a nonpartisan way so that all of Michigan can have an equally wonderful experience when taking a tour of our state capital. And that's what today's guest and his team do every single day. Please welcome to the show the Director of Tour and Information, Service Chair of Save the Flags at the Michigan State Capitol in Lansing, Michigan. That would be Matt Vanacker. Matt, how are you? I'm great, Cliff. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up here in Lansing, uh, literally in the the long morning shadow, if you will, of this grand state capital um, on the west side of town. Went to Michigan State University, where I received my degree in, in history education. And uh, my intent back then was to teach high school history to um, well, wonderful students. Sadly, when I graduated and got my degree, there were a lot of uh, history teachers and not too many jobs for all of us. So I was doing some substitute teaching and literally saw an ad that ran in our local paper looking for volunteers to uh, conduct tours of the state capitol that had just recently been restored. It's about 30 years ago. And I jumped at the opportunity, uh, interviewed for a job as a docent, a volunteer, and I did that for several years while I was substitute teaching in classrooms and just realized that this was the place I wanted to be. And things worked out really well for me. A position opened with the state of Michigan, and I started in as a, uh, an educator, a tour guide to the Capitol. And um, through the years, through pure stubbornness, probably more than anything, <laughs> I managed to, to rise up to the director's position and um it's just been a wonderful career, a wonderful place to make a career. Anyone that's interested in history, this has just been a fabulous opportunity. I've loved every minute of it. So what is it about history that fascinates you so much? You know, I started as a youngster being interested in particular in Civil War history. And one of the first books I read, first history books I read was about a regiment from Wisconsin, the 8th Wisconsin Infantry, that um, went into battle with a mascot with a, a bald eagle as their mascot, literally tethered to a long perch and went into combat with them. And it just, it piqued my interest, I think in the Civil War in particular, but um, growing up in Lansing, my parents were really big about promoting the interests that, that we children had. And so my mother brought me down for a tour of the Capitol when I was four years old. It's one of my earliest childhood memories was seeing this building. I, uh, albeit with my older brother's Cub Scout group, I think, I was kind of a tag along on the <laughs> tour. But it made a really lasting impression on me, even at that young age, and to see the original Civil War battle flags that were on display in 
the building, the monuments on the grounds to the Capitol. It just, it really pulled me in. And I've always been fascinated with history. And I'll be quite honest, and I hope I don't offend any of your listeners by saying this, I don't get people that don't like history. It's just, it's so much of who we are and, and a grasp of history is so important to our future as a nation and as a state. And I know this building is literally dripping with history, and I want to make sure that we dive into that a little bit more. What I would like to do is talk a little bit, you were sharing before about how you came here and you applied for initially a volunteer job, and then you just started working here, and then an opportunity came for you to actually have a job here and start working here full time. What was it about working at the Capitol building that said, you know what, I can make a career out of this? Yeah, you know, my first day of work as a leased employee initially when I was hired in, I was hired in contractually as a leased employee, so not actually a state employee. But um, my first day was a huge uh, KKK rally that Whoa. took place on the front lawn. And our staff was there to um, both protect the rights of the KKK to have a rally and to use the Capitol as a public forum, but also to protect the protesters that were here and to make sure that no one's rights were being violated. And you know, we don't always agree with groups that have events and rallies on the on the Capitol lawn, but that's not really our job. Our job is to make sure that their rights are not infringed upon and that they have equal rights as other groups do. So that was literally my first day working at contract- as a contractual employee was to come in for that rally. And then my first day as a state employee when I was hired in early the next year was the inauguration of Governor John Engler. And I was here, and both of those events were remarkable, you know, and just to be able to play a small role in, in making sure that those events took place here and safely. And yeah, it was kind of an interest. looking back at it, it was a couple of interesting days to start employment here at the Capitol. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's a fascinating building to work in. There's not a day that goes by that something interesting doesn't happen, maybe something unexpected that happens. And and I'll admit the ability to meet people that you read about in the news. I mean, to have a governor know me by my first name, I'll admit there's a little bit of a... A um, little bragging, right? A Humble little bit, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's um, it's just, it's really, my wife will say, you know, we'll see, watch the evening news and she'll say, well, do you know that person? I said, oh yeah. I said, you know, I know them pretty well. And just from being, the exposure we have to people that are making really important decisions in the course of the state of Michigan. Yeah, it's just a fascinating place to be. I know before when you were talking about the KKK rally happening outside and everything else like that, and you mentioned that you don't hold any views on that as far as like being partisan. And we were talking about this before, about how you and your organization really has to be very non partisan on all these issues, political party affiliations, whether you support a proposal or anything along those lines. Talk to us a little bit about walking that tightrope. Yeah, we really live and breathe on our nonpartisan status here. It's important to us that every guest that comes into the Capitol has an equally wonderful experience and can be guaranteed that our staff are not going to try to share their political views on proposals or on legislators or candidates that are running for office. And, 
Equally important is a legislator who's been elected to office here can be absolutely certain that groups that come into the Lansing to see the Capitol, their constituents from their district are going to be guaranteed a nonpartisan tour of the Capitol. We're going to share with them Capitol facts and history and talk about how bills become law in a very nonpartisan manner. That's important to us. We view our roles as educators here as being very important. And um, I think the average year, um, we have the opportunity to share tours with a lot of our third and fourth grade audiences. And we can do that in a nonpartisan way. And, and it's really important. And speaking of tours, how many tours do you have going through here on any given day? Yeah. So pre-COVID, we were on average annually providing full one-hour tours to approximately 110,000 guests. Sweet Moses. Um, yeah, we're really proud of what we've been able to accomplish with the numbers and the quality of the experience. Last time I checked, I think that puts us in the top six in the nation as far as volume of visitors go to state capitals, which I'm very proud of. We have a really, I was mentioning this to you earlier when we were out in the building. We have a really wonderful partnership with the education community in Michigan. Third and fourth grade teachers recognize a really good way of them to be able to acquire their content expectations for teaching Michigan history and the legislative process is by booking a tour with us. Our staff also books the majority of the tours that go through the State Historical Museum just a few blocks west of the Capitol. So a lot of groups that are coming to see us are also going to the State Museum. So in one visit to Lansing, they're going to get information about Capitol history, uh, the legislative process, the branches of government. They're also going to get a really big component by their visit to the State Historical Museum. And we're talking about tours from all areas of Michigan, Upper and Lower Peninsula. Yeah, all areas. I, granted, I wish we could get a few more visitors from our friends north of the bridge, but the logistics of a visit to Lansing make it a little complicated. Right. It typically involves an overnight for those students. But yes, we get groups from the Upper Peninsula and really all over the Lower Peninsula, groups that come to see us typically book their tours one full year in advance to make sure that they have the opportunity. And literally at 8.30, when our, we're scheduling for that day next year, our phones are typically ringing off the hook with teachers that want to book that day next year, which we're, I'm really proud of and, and really thrilled that people want to come see us. Um, you know, I, periodically I'm approached by people that want us to advertise, you know, in their magazines or in their, their tourism publications, and we've never had to. I mean, it just, the tour sells itself and uh, word of mouth. And we have teachers that have been coming to us for 30 years, and many of them I know by their first name, you know, because I've been working with them for the last 30 years and coordinating their tours here in Lansing. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. I had concerns when COVID hit that I would look back at the glory days and think, boy, we'll never be able to get back to that again. But we've been like a lot of other people sort of climbing out of the COVID hole and we're getting our numbers back up. We're not quite at full capacity yet, but we're working on getting all those visitors back in. And we will definitely explore some of those historical footnotes. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about Michigan's history and its role in helping to shape the United States. See you after the break. If you are enjoying this episode, 
Well then, let me tell you, there's plenty more interesting stories to come. Michigan is full of people doing extraordinary things. And you can get these great stories sent directly to your inbox. Just go to totalmichigan.com slash join. Enter your email address and join our community. When you do, we will also send you our top five interviews, the powerful lessons we've learned from these people, an invitation to our Facebook group, behind the scenes stories and pictures, as well as advance notice of upcoming guests and events. Just go to totalmichigan.com slash join. It's fast, it's free, and it's easy. Sign up today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm talking with Matt Van Acker. And we're sitting inside of the state capitol right now. And Matt, what I want to do is I want to explore, because there's so much history here. So much has happened within the walls of the state capitol. And I know that there's no way on the planet that we could cover everything that has happened here. I mean, the place is just beautiful. So obviously for anybody in our audience, go take a tour. Mm -hmm, It's definitely worth it, even if you did take it back in third grade. The question that I got for you is you were sharing some very interesting uh, facts with us about some of the things that Michigan has done that was literally like starting, it seemed like really starting around the Civil War era and kind of going forward that Michigan really was on the front of a lot of social issues that were happening in the nation before a lot of the other states started catching up and even the federal laws started to change. So why don't you share with us like some of those things that come to mind that you that you, that Michigan was like first for. Oh, sure. Thank you for the question. So as educators here, I suppose most of our conversations about first in, in U.S. or state history are sparked by portraits that we have in the building of really famous people that that helped coordinate and organize those first things for Michigan. Uh, chief among them, first to come to mind, is uh, former Governor Austin Blair, whose statue is in front of our Capitol. There's only one individual that's honored on the lawn of the state Capitol, and that's Austin Blair. And uh, his statue was erected um, shortly after he died in 1898. So Blair was from Jackson, Michigan, from New York originally, but settled in Jackson, Michigan, was a founding father of the National Republican Party, which had its roots in Jackson, leading abolitionists, nationally recognized for his work in ending slavery in the country prior to, during, and after the Civil War. Also was a proponent and campaigned to end capital punishment in the state. Uh, Michigan was the first democratically elected government in the English-speaking world to ban the death penalty, and that was Austin Blair who championed that cause worked very early on to have the word white removed from the Michigan Constitution. And he was not successful in that attempt, but had he been successful, it would have allowed black men in Michigan the right to vote well before the Civil War. He also um, was a suffragist, worked for women's rights, including the right to vote. And keep in mind, this is in the 1860s when he was serving as governor of the state. And um, one of the more remarkable things that he championed that a lot of people don't know about were the um, personal liberty bills in Michigan that were passed by the legislature in 1855. These personal liberty bills basically nullified the fugitive slave law that had been passed in 1850, which made it illegal to harbor or to assist the escape of fugitive slaves. And that was a federal law. It was a federal law. And and a number of other northern states also passed what the southern states called the nullification bills. When South Carolina secedes from the Union, among their reasons for leaving the Union are the nullification laws in the northern states and state listing the state of Michigan. So 
And Blair was an incredible individual. You can't tell he's one of my favorites. Um, I don't really have favorites going back to our nonpartisan status here, but historically, he's just a really was an incredible individual. We have a portrait in the Senate chamber of Eva McCall Hamilton, who was Michigan's first female legislator, was elected to the Michigan Senate in 1920 and paved the way for many other female legislators and governors that have come after her. And um, she was elected literally the year that the 19th Amendment was ratified to the U.S. Constitution, finally allowing women equal rights in, in the voting sphere anyway, and the right to vote in nationally. A number of other firsts um, in the Capitol. We have a wonderful, uh, fairly new portrait that we commissioned of Representative William Webb Ferguson. Uh, Mr. Ferguson was Michigan's first African-American legislator, was elected in 1892 to the House of Representatives. And his portrait, as I shared with you when we toured the Capitol, is in really close proximity to the old Supreme Court chambers on the third floor. No small coincidence. We purposely picked that position for Ferguson's portrait because two years prior to him being elected to the House in 1890, he had a landmark court case that was heard in the old Supreme Court chamber involving segregation. Right in this building. Right in, well, yeah, right in this building, 1892. And his court case um, involved segregation and his right to have dinner in a Detroit restaurant. He and a friend were refused service because of the color of their skin. No other reason, forced to eat in the saloon, uh, the segregation portion of the restaurant. This took place in a northern state, a state that had sent 90,000 boys to the battlefields of the Civil War to try to end that kind of hatred and discrimination. And so he sued the restaurant owner and five justices serving on the Supreme Court at the time ruled unanimously in his favor. And that court case set legal precedent in 1890 in Michigan that separate, separate, would, is not equal. separate would not be equal yes. in Michigan. Love it. This took place at a time when a lot of other Southern, Northern, and federal courts were not ruling in favor of plaintiffs. So it really set a precedent very early on in the state. And recognizing, sadly, that discrimination, segregation, in some aspects still takes place in Michigan, but legally that set the, the, uh, the precedent. Wonderful. What I would like to do is I'd like to talk about some of the, and it's always great to take a look back. I mean, there's just so much history here. It's just, it's crazy. I could talk to you forever just about the civil war parts mm-hmm. of this. This is wonderful, but I do want to tie it in because one of the very first things that you showed us when we came in here was doing flag restoration here on premises that blew me away because i always thought that was done in some kind of top secret facility somewhere but you have it on display where people can go by and actually see workers you know laboring very hard diligently on restoring these flags so talk to us a little bit about that yeah no i'd be pleased to so we're um in a portion of the Capitol now that we call Heritage Hall, which was constructed and opened just this past July, uh, July 5th of 2022. And it's a 40,000-square-foot facility. And a part of the um, facility here, we were able to build and install a state-of-the-art conservation laboratory. We have incredible artifact collections here in the Capitol, including wonderful original portraits and frames, pieces of Capitol memorabilia, furniture from its original construction, 
In my opinion, chief among the collections, though, is a really incredible battle flag collection, 240 flags that were carried by Michigan soldiers in the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, and World War I. For years, these flags were housed in the rotunda of the Capitol. Some of your listeners may remember seeing them there. During the restoration, a, a difficult decision was made to remove the battle flag collection. We partnered with the State Historical Museum. We partner with our friends over there on a, a number of projects. They provided a really wonderful state of flag storage, archival storage space. So the flag collection is kept at the museum. But for the first time ever, with the construction of this new facility, we actually are able to bring battle flags over to our Heritage Hall Conservation Lab. Um, I was very fortunate in being able to have two of our staff trained last summer with the nation's leading battle flag conservator, learning the techniques and process for properly caring for the original battle flags. So, yeah, for the first time ever, we're conducting on-site conservation here at the Capitol and have literally bringing flags back to their original home. Our staff is stabilizing them and making it uh, possible to view them. Part of the conservation lab, as you referenced, we were able to install a viewing window. So any guests that come to the Capitol will be able to see at least one of our battle flags on display. And uh, if the timing is right, actually be able to see some of our staff in the conservation lab um, properly caring for that battle flag. And, of course, what I love, purely selfishly speaking, is the fact that each one of these flags has its own story behind it. But more importantly, like we were discussing there, even impacting today. So we were talking about how some of these were regimental flags that those same units that exist to this day. Yeah. Sure. So we have military organizations, a number of what we call descendant organizations of the Michigan National Guard that can trace their lineage back to regiments that formed during the Civil War, uh, some going back to the 3rd Michigan Infantry Regiment, which formed in Grand Rapids, and then descendant organizations from the 3rd that fought in the um, Spanish-American War, uh, in World War One, um, we actually have regiments from Michigan that fought in northern Russia against the Bolshevik army. That's right. I um, forgot about that. The, the yes. famed polar bears. And they were selected from Michigan because the authorities assumed that if they were raised in Michigan, they would be used to the cold weather that they'd be exposed to in northern Russia. So the polar bear units, we have flags that were carried by polar bear regiments in northern Russia. We have the first uh, World War I collection, the first flags to go into occupied German territory in World War One. flags of the Red Arrow Division, the famed 32nd Division, and they've given the name the Red Arrow Division because they said they th fought through the enemy lines and shot through the enemy lines like a red-hot arrow. Um, the French referred to them as les terribles, uh, the terrible ones, because of the way they fought. So a really incredible collection. The Civil War flags, though, in particular, actually saw combat. I mean, they went out into the battles with the men. Uh, they served as a rallying point for the troops in combat. Confederate Soldiers recognized the quickest way to dishearten the Union troops would be by shooting the man who was carrying the colors, or even better yet, capturing that Union flag. And of course, the Union troops recognized this of so the Confederate flags also. 
So it became a very deadly game, if you will, of capture the flag during the Civil War. And the game has its roots in the Civil War. Certainly. Um, so the flag stood as a, a rallying point for the troops, but the troops also had an incredible emotional attachment to their battle flags. Many of these flags were presented to them by the communities in which they formed, sometimes by their wives and daughters and the ladies of the community. Some of the flags were lovingly hand-sewn by the ladies of the communities and embroidered and presented to the men. So the flags had a connection to the communities. They made promises when they received these battle flags before they marched off to battle. They made vows that this flag will become the pall, the funeral garment of the regiment before we surrender it to the enemy. So every time they looked at that flag in combat, they were reminded of the promises they made on that day of the presentation of the flags and, and reminded of the folks that they left back home. And I know you mentioned this before, but I, I just want to pull out this this one sentence that you said, flags are handmade. Yeah. That yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, some of the flags were lo- literally lovingly embroidered by the ladies of the communities. Um, others were procured through army channels, through depots, and even purchased. And Tiffany was a company that supplied flags to some of the troops during the the Civil War. But to have that personal connection, I mean, I cover myself up during the winter months with a quilt that my mom hand sewn with her yep. sisters. And it reminds me every time I wrap it around me of the love that she put into making that. And really the battle flags, the men had the same kind of emotional attachment to them. You know, my mother made this, my sister made this, you know, my cousin made this, Exactly. whatever that is. Yeah. See, now this is where I could talk to you about this all day because there's just so much history. This is just absolutely amazing. And I do want to say for our audience that when Matt was talking about the polar bears earlier, if you go back and listen to the interview with John Ryder from the Heroes Musician Heroes Museum out of Frankenmuth, Michigan, he talked about that quite extensively. So I will have that link down in the show notes down below for sure. Matt, if somebody's listening to this interview right now and they follow what's going on online with regards to you know the Capitol, maybe taking a tour, whatever it is, what would be the best way for them yeah, to connect with Honestly, you? it's real simple. Google in Michigan State Capitol and it's or use whatever search engine you Number use one. and it's gonna it's gonna pop up and um, we have connecting links we have videos online that you can watch an opportunity presented itself to us I hate to refer to this horrible COVID pandemic as an opportunity but because we were limited and on-site guests it allowed our staff the opportunity to do some really incredible things with video tours we talked about this earlier we jumped Certainly. into the virtual world with zoom tours and converted most of on, our on-site experiences to, to virtual tours, you know, using Zoom as an avenue for supplying that. But we also were able to put up a lot of content on our social media sites and on YouTube. So you can watch a video of one of my staff interviewing the folks that clean the chamber chandeliers once a year. There's a, a tour of the dome, which is not accessible anymore to the general public, but we got permission to go up into the dome. And it's actually me you'll be stuck with if you watch that, <laughs> uh, me giving a tour of the dome of the building. Uh, in-depth information about some of the portraits in the collection that we have here, a grounds tour 
uh, a Civil War tour that concentrates, you know, on this building's connection to the Civil War and to some of the occupants that were here after the war. Most of our legislators were, were veterans of the Union Army, you know, that served here in the legislature in this building. So, yeah, so check us out. You know, it's pretty pretty easy to get to. We have a link for our battle flag collection. You can see images of each of the flags in the collection and some limited histories that we have available. Awesome. For our audience, we will have all those links in the show notes down below. Matt, it's been a real treat just hanging out with you this afternoon and uh, chatting with you about the history of the Capitol building. So thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Cliff. And come see us. We'd love to have you. I think you won't regret taking the time to come to Lansing to see our building. Definitely not. And for our audience, you can go to TotalMichigan.com, click on Matt's interview, and get all the links that he shared with us in today's show. Also, you can see other fascinating interviews that we've collected from other ordinary Michiganders who are doing some pretty extraordinary things. 